You are listening to the Fresh Take Network. Let's get into the whole reason why you tune into this podcast, the whole reason why you listen to F101. We're talking about round one of the 2023 Formula One Grand Prix. We're talking about the Bahrain International Grand Prix. Top speed of 327.9 kilometers an hour. Lap record of 1 minute 31 seconds held in 2005. 57 laps, 15 turns, a distance of 5.4 kilometers a lap. It was amazing to hear the commentators it was amazing to see these cars lined up and i do have to say it is one of the cleanest and fastest starts to a barring grand prix that i have seen in a very very long time coming from the straight stretch coming into the chicane of turns one and two generally you see i don't want to see a lot of carnage but i see a lot of guys diving down through the inside corners trying to get those placements up the grid if they don't qualify very very well Generally, you see two or three cars bump. Sometimes they crash. Sometimes it's not a very good start to the Grand Prix. This, on the other hand, was the picture-perfect start, except for one little nudge, and it didn't really affect anybody. Uh, Fernando Alonso is on the right-hand side. He's coming up super fast. His partner, Lance Stroll, does not see him and swings over, takes a piece of the wing off. But this car that Aston Martin has built, its I don't want to call it a tank, but it withstood the hit. Nobody spun out. Nobody broke. Nobody got into any kind of pieces. And it was absolutely amazing. Both team or both drivers did lose spots right off the bat. They both dropped down about two or three spots each. But that was it. It was it was a beauty to see. Max Verstappen started on pole. Checo Perez right behind him. The last thing that the grid wants to see is Max Verstappen on pole with nothing happening in front of him and Checo Perez defending behind him, they literally just cruised through those first three corners through the first couple laps. It was amazing to see. It was a battle beginning to the end from third spot back. And it wasn't just, you know, the top, you know, it wasn't just from fourth to eighth that was battling back and forth. It was everybody all the way down from fourth all the way down to 17th. Tons of clean racing, a lot of passing, especially in spots that you wouldn't necessarily assume that you would do a lot of passing in Bahrain. We're talking corners 11 through 14, 1 through 3, like just the chicane areas and these corners where unless both drivers are absolutely on the ball and they're concentrating and nothing goes wrong, that's when you can make some of these passes. But generally, it doesn't go very well for the majority of the attempts. There's collisions there's going off track there's exceeding track limits all this kind of stuff that was not that was not the case in this grand prix today no drama which is what i love no red flags no massive crashes no crashes except for that bump at the very beginning just a lot of clean hard racing which i've stated before but i cannot overstate this enough just how good this driving 
was this race. Some teams doing better than other teams. Some teams just, they should have just stopped. They should have just stopped the qualifying going, you know, it's just not one of these, it's not one of these races, man. I know it's the first one of the year, and I hope this is not how the season goes, but the first team that pops to mind is, is going to be McLaren. They didn't exactly have the best qualifying. Lando Norris out-qualified his, his rookie predecessor, Oscar Piastri, and Piastri's day just, weekend just did not get any better at all. We're talking, he only made 16 laps before the new car that he had. It wasn't anything he did. It was a technical issue. Uh, so for those of you who don't know, to explain this technical issue, drivers do not change gears with the normal gear shift that you and I have. They do have a brake, a clutch, and a gas, but to shift gears is on the steering wheel which means the steering wheel is a lot more complicated than the normal ones that we use. Even the higher-end luxury cars that we, as, as us normal drivers, are able to use, it's a lot more complicated than that. So it's a lot, it's just basically a gigantic computer that you hold on to. And Oscar Piastri was not having a very good day with his first steering wheel. They did have to replace the steering wheel. There wasn't the proper connection between the shift gears in the steering wheel to the computer system in the car to change gears. It just, it wasn't happening. He was getting stuck in gears. The engine was having trouble shifting gears. It was a little bit of grinding. So they decided that we're going to switch out the steering wheel, lap 16, and that should fix the issue. So it's like a normal pit stop. It takes a little bit longer just because the steering wheel sometimes has to reboot. So they go into the pit lane, Oscar Piastri, he's like, okay, we're going to, they gave him a new steering wheel. He plugs it in and then the steering wheel like restarts and he's just sitting there and sitting there and sitting there and he's trying on the cameras you can see he's trying to go through all of these systems trying to get this wheel to work trying to get the gears in rotation and in sync and all this and all that and it was about 45 seconds into the pit when then they decided that nope your day 16 laps is your formula one debut that your day is done and it's just again i can't help but think that they should have spent more time with these kind of issues, figuring it out opposed to, I just, I keep coming back to it, adding those rotating advertisements. Like it's not very often that you have to switch wheels, period, like steering wheels in formula one. It's even less likely and the odds are definitely not in the driver's favor for this to happen more than once every like five years. Like you don't have an issue with the steering wheel like this, especially your backup steering wheel. So, not very encouraging for McLaren. Like they're down to one car within the first 20 laps. And then after that, there's a couple more uh, DNFs that happened along the race. But again, none of it was collisions. None of it was anything to do with the drivers themselves. Well, okay, except for Esteban Ocon, but we'll get to that in a minute. Second driver that was out lap 41 out of 57. So, and he's, he was so close to finishing. He's in third. The, Ferrari fans just are having mental flashbacks and PTSD of the 2022 season. Again, it was Charles Leclerc, a power unit failure. You could tell that he could still shift gears. You could hear it. He's shifting gears. He's trying to give that engine all it needs, and it just keeps getting slower and slower and slower and slower. Just the engine itself just, I don't want to say died because there was no big plume of blue smoke, which would in indicate something massive massively wrong with the engine there was no flames there was no visible signs of what had happened but it was a power unit failure from the uh 
um, broadcasters that they had heard word that it was a, a power unit failure, but they just they don't know what's going on quite yet. He pulls off to the right hand side, really good spot to pull off in the racetrack where he was totally out of the way. So it was a yellow flag for I think it was two laps, and the marshals just pushed the car off of the track. It was out of the way. They continued racing, but it was just man, it was heartbreaking because Ferrari's coming in here just like last season, looking so. Just looking so strong, looking confident, and yet it's more mechanical issues that are letting them down. I know it's only the first race of the year, but if last year was any indication of what's going to happen this year by way of technical difficulties, this is not going to be a great year for Ferrari again. Maybe I'm wrong. I hope I'm wrong. I want them to do very well, but this is not a very good start. And the third and last DNF, so this one's a little bit of a of a one that needs explanation. So the driver chose to not finish the race, or it was a team decision for this driver not to finish the race. And we're talking about Esteban Ocon. Okay, so he had accumulated a bunch of time penalties, but it wasn't infractions against other drivers, which normally you don't see a whole lot of happen in Formula One. Normally, it's obstructing somebody, unsafe release, hitting somebody. Uh, forcing them off the track, things of that nature, like dangerous driving penalties. And these were all self-inflicted, in my opinion. Uh, the first one comes with, when you start the race, everyone does what they call their formation laps. So they get the tires warmed up, they make sure the car is working well, and then you stop in your you know, your designated spot if, from 1 through 20. If you're in 5th spot, you stop in 5th, and so on and so forth. There's markings on where you have to go. There's also sensors where the car is supposed to stop so you don't cheat, so you don't roll forward, so you don't have an advantage when the race begins. This is fair play for everybody, which makes sense to me. It's part of the rules, and it works very well. Except that sometimes when you put the car in gear, so you'll go from neutral, they'll, they'll do their formation lap, they'll come to the box, they'll stop, then they'll put the car in neutral. Then they reset themselves, and then they put the cars back in first sometimes the cars kick forward a little bit. In this case, when Esteban Ocon put his car into first gear, the car shook and it had like an eighth of a tire roll forward. Now there's sensors in the boxes where these cars are supposed to start and what everyone's thinking and what it looks like is he rolled far enough forward that he tripped the sensor and that he was too far forward, so that's a five-second penalty. Okay, that doesn't happen very often. You just kind of grin, bear it, and move on as much as you really don't want to. Now, you serve the five-second penalty. That should be it. You sit there. No one touches your car for five seconds. They do whatever they need to, and then off you go. Okay, that's very straightforward. That's how everybody does it. Except that he, Esteban Ocon goes in to take his five-second penalty. To, he needs a new wing, and he needs a couple tires. Okay, it's a pit change, full out. The team knows this, so he goes in, and yet the mechanics start working on his car right away. So they don't give him that five seconds to sit there, and then they work on the car. They just worked out right away, and it went over the radio that it was team orders that they're going to serve the five-second penalty, so the stewards hear this. They know this. It's like, okay, so we're going to watch him sit in the pit lane for five seconds, then they're going to work on his car, then he leaves. Except that, like I said, the mechanics didn't, Give him that five seconds. Okay, so all of a sudden he gets his pit change, and then he goes off, and away he goes. Okay, 
So now he gets another penalty on top of the first one he has. His second penalty is now another five-second penalty, which makes it 10 seconds for not serving his first penalty properly. Okay, so now he has a 10-second penalty where you can either race to the end of the race and they just add 10 seconds onto your final time, or you try this all over again, you go into pit lane and you sit there for 10 seconds and then they then you can go again. Well, on top of the not serving his first penalty properly, when he came into the pit lane to serve his first penalty, he was going too fast. So there's a speed limit when you go into the pit lanes. Now, this is for safety reasons for everybody else because there's engineers out there. There's guys that are in just a helmet and coveralls. It's for everyone's safety that you cannot exceed a certain speed limit. Esteban Ocon comes in already frustrated, pissed off, and obviously not paying attention, and he's over that speed limit. Now, they never said how far over he was. I haven't been able to find it yet, but essentially he was speeding in pit lane. So that comes with another five seconds. So grand total, he's got 15 seconds worth of penalties. And by the time this happens, he's at lap 43 of 57. If he takes or when they add all 15 seconds onto his time, he's nowhere near the points. So lap 43 comes around. They let him know, hey, you've got another penalty for doing something stupid, for not paying attention. Your day's done. They decide to pull the car. So he's the third DNF of the first race of 2023. I think it was a wise decision to pull his car and to just let him end his weekend because at this rate, it was only going to get worse. Um, there is a rule where if you accumulate too many penalties in one race, they're going to show you a black flag. So a black flag means you're disqualified and you really, really, really don't want that because then it's points off your license. There can be potentially financial penalties for you and the team if it's bad enough it's constructors points taken off of your team as well so they just decided it's the first race of the year let's cut our losses and they just pull him on lap 43 the interview afterwards was kind of funny because you could tell like hey what what happened how was you know like the the generic interview questions and you could just you could tell he didn't want to be there his weekend was over give me a week to just recuperate and i will come back and i will do much better i feel sorry for the guy but totally self-inflicted and that was the only real negative drama to the entire race weekend which was fantastic let's cover some of the teams that i thought really did well mercedes again like i had said before i think they were absolutely sandbagging and they're not giving themselves the benefit of the doubt on how well their car is actually performing it was a great car it was super reliable uh, George Russell had a little bit worse tire degradation than Lewis Hamilton this time. Again, that's just driver performance. Some drivers are more aggressive. Some drivers are a little bit more passive or more defensive. When you watch the race, you could see why Lewis Hamilton had better tire management than George Russell today. Russell, I don't know what somebody said to him or what his mentality was or what he thinks he has to prove. He is coming out of the gate hungry. He's coming out of the gate aggressive, fast, but still very, very smart. He's taking every single opportunity and every single inch that another driver is giving to him to advance the pass and just make a much bigger statement than he did last year in Mercedes. Last year was his learning curve. Hey, I'm at a new team. I'm learning where my spot is, just learning the new 
atmosphere and teaching methods and hey this is a proper team that getting that mentality straight and i think it paid dividends for him this year especially i mean again it's the first race this is what my interpretation is but he is going to be a menace for everybody else on the grid he's going to be aggressive for the rest of the year he is now officially in my mind 100 the future of mercedes if lewis wins his eighth great fantastic congratulations but George Russell, in my opinion, is going to start winning races more than one this season, and he's going to continue on for decades to come. Just He's grown up so much just from last year, and again, this is just the first race of the season. I expect to, be, I expect to see him this aggressive for the rest of the year. I expect him to see challenge from Ferrari, or he will challenge Ferrari. He's going to outpoint and outproduce Lewis Hamilton. And I do expect to see him tangle with the big boys for Red Bull just because I think just seeing the future from this race on, he is going to be that. He is going to be that good. I also see the rest of 2023 being very uh, beneficial for, for, for Mercedes. I see them winning more than one race like they did last year. The potential they have in this car, if they start to think positively about it, because, again, they didn't do that horribly in this car that everybody seems to hate except for George Russell. Take out the negativity. Look at your stats. Look at your numbers because Mercedes is a numbers team. F1 is a numbers game. Look at your actual lap times in the first race of the year where theoretically it should be the most unpredictable, where you should see the most amount of problems should be in the first couple weeks, especially in the first race because it's the first race of the year everything that's new you're trying out for the first time you've got reliable data you've got reliable speed you've got massive potential for the rest of the season they just need to think more like george russell going hey it's a lot better than what we had last year here's what we did well let's just move forward with it up until lap 41 ferrari third and fourth so they started on the second row they would have finished in the second row for points as well until, like I said, lap 41 when Charles Leclerc had the power unit failure. Ferrari is looking strong. They're looking like the number two contender again this season from the first qualifying and taking it from the first race. They're still behind Red Bull substantially, especially in race trim. So qualifying, you know, they made it seem a lot closer than it was. From the first to the last was like 1.1 seconds. When you got to actual race trim, by the time was race was done, the winner of the race to the fourth place, which was Carlos Seitz, spoiler alert, was like 38.4 seconds. So they're still massively behind the eight ball when it comes to Red Bull with just their speed and whatever aerodynamic tricks Red Bull has. But I think looking at what they've, the strategy of which they put in for this race was still a little bit off, but it was much better than what it was last year. And you can tell there is a different mindset when it comes to the team and the drivers themselves. It's a lot more of us when it's beneficial, but it's you and me when we're separated, which you can see the dynamic work in this race. I see great potential in Ferrari for their development for this season. I don't see them winning, unfortunately. I see them again in the top three. I still think they have a solid chance to be that second team uh, in the constructors right ahead of Mercedes. I don't think Mercedes is going to pass Ferrari this season. I just don't think by the time, I don't think that by the time Mercedes development catches up to Ferrari, Ferrari is just going to be that 
much farther ahead of them. But they need to figure something out to catch up to Red Bull because they're faster than everybody else, but they're substantially slower than Red Bull. So it all depends on how you want to look at it. Are they faster where they need to be or are they slower than they have to be? Like it's that six of one, half a dozen of the other. I would love to hear from you guys, from Ferrari fans, definitely to see your guys' take on what the 2023 season is going to look like and how you think Ferrari is going to go and what you thought of the first race. Again, coming from a Red Bull fan, I love Red Bull. They look ridiculously strong as they should, but I think Ferrari, they're at that gray area where they need to, to either speed up a lot or they need to decide that, hey, we're a second place team. We're just going to hold on to second place and there's nothing else that we can do about it for at least this season or at least the beginning of the season and then see where they go for 2024. So comments below. Let me think uh, what you guys think, how Ferrari is going to go. At the same time, the only strategy I think they need to fix from today's race to next week's race is the fact that they double stack the teams. So both cars went in for tire changes and that did kind of come in. It didn't kind of, it did come back to bite Carlos Seitz in the ass where he pushed too hard to keep up with the Red Bulls and he killed his tires. So he finished lower than he should have just because he was trying to keep up with a team where they realistically had absolutely no chance catching. Which brings us to Red Bull. I mean, they qualified strong. They finished strong. Perez locked out, or Perez and Max locked out the top two in qualifying. They started one, two. And, you know, spoiler alert, that's where they finished the race. They never faltered. They are a very well-oiled machine. They didn't need to fix a whole lot from last season's car. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. The only thing that I can see potentially going wrong for Red Bull is that they overcomplicate what they have for a car. That some teams may start to get a little closer. Let's say Ferrari comes up in the middle of the season with a massive innovation and they get super close to Red Bull. The only thing I can see is Red Bull kind of panicking and overdeveloping their car to screw up what they have now. But from qualifying to the first race, it's just the same same old good stuff as last year. Super fast off the line. Fantastic tire management from both Checo and Max. Even when Checo was defending, he didn't blow through his tires even more than he did last year. Great tire management. Um, they're looking like another beast for the 2023 season. I Are they unstoppable for the 2023 season? I don't think so. I think that some team that I'm going to mention a little bit later will might potentially give them a run for their money by the end of the season. And like I said, at the beginning of the episode that they still have all of these penalties that they have yet to apply when it comes to research and development time in the wind tunnel. So don't expect Red Bull to absolutely run away with the season. I do still think they're going to win, but it's going to be substantially closer by the end of the season just because they don't have as much wind tunnel time and research and development time and a $7 million fine that all has to play into this season. So by the middle of the season, if not the end of the season, I think it's going to be substantially closer between the top three teams. You're not going to have a couple of hundred point gap from first to second, second to third, third to fourth. It's going to be you know double digit points instead of triple digit points. A very good uh, surprise, I would say, with this race is Williams. Now, I I don't in my preseason episode I said I didn't have a whole lot of faith in Williams just because. For the evolution of their car, they got better, but everybody else got even better than them. And I didn't have a whole lot of faith 
in their new rookie Logan Sargent as the first American just because he's kind of like the poster boy of American racing. And I didn't think that he had what it takes to be in Formula One, essentially. Um, yep, I'm eating my words as of the race today. Williams finished a surprising 10th for Alex Albon. Great for him. It's his fourth race that he's gotten points in since he became a Williams driver. And Logan Sargent finished the highest out of all the rookies. He finished 12th. So both of these guys are really making me eat my words, which is great to see. They're developing the car in a in a proper way. It may take them a couple of years to challenge the midfield or the top of the team, but the car itself, surprisingly fast, surprisingly smooth. Both drivers were able to stay out of trouble, but they were super fast. They weren't lagging behind. Really great development for Williams. Like I said, everyone else just got that little bit better. If the drivers keep going the way they are from the first race to the last race. I expect to see Williams about 7th or 8th in the constructors. I don't see, from this performance on, I don't see them not scoring points from here on out unless something drastic happens to the cars or unless there's a crash. They're the Mercedes sister team, so they've got the reliability, and they're going to you know exceed expectations for my 2023 season, I think. And I pose a question to all you fans out there. Will they become the best of the rest in the 2023 season? Will they be better than McLaren, Haas, and let's say Alfa Romeo? I can see them potentially by the end of the season really being in that hunt to be the best of the rest. I mean, if if Logan Sargent keeps on driving like he did today, he's definitely going to prove me wrong. He's going to do much better than the rest of the rookies, and they're going to get him he's going to get the team the points they absolutely need. So for the second season of F101, I've added a new segment to each race episode. I'm calling it the story of the race. This is where I highlight, I think, the most important team or the most important thing that has happened in each week's race. And this week for me, it's going to be the Aston Martin story from top to bottom. They are, I don't want to call them the Cinderella team because it's been a long time coming, but the combination of Lance Stroll coming back from surgery and driving with two pins in his right shoulder and a broken toe and bruised ribs to place in the points for Aston Martin, as well as the phenomenal, and I mean phenomenal drive and phenomenal weekend that Fernando Alonso has had with his new team in a brand new car. Let's go back to Lance Stroll. Let's start from there. He looks like he has definitely matured even from last season to this race. He's taken the the challenge of becoming a more mature driver, I think, to heart. When you've got the two-time world champion Fernando Alonso on your team as the number one driver, and yes, if you're an Aston Martin fan or not, let's just get this out of the way right now. Even though Alonso's new to Aston Martin, he is the number one driver. And it looks like Lance Stroll has accepted that and accepted that he's got a lot to learn from Fernando. And it looked like that in his drive not only coming back with from all these injuries but the way he drove today was intelligent when needed to be aggressive when he had to be but smooth from start to finish he took chances when he thought it would be the most advantageous for him he made a ton of passes today he made very intelligent aggressive moves which got him up into the standings but he at the same time he didn't push the car further than he needed to in the very first race if he feels like he has something to prove, I think 
he's learned that he's got time to prove it from 22 more races throughout the season. He can still be useful in the team that his dad owns. Now, that being said, when you go to Fernando Alonso, brand new team, brand new car, brand new circumstances, but a much more enjoyable environment, a much more welcoming environment than Alpine. He had nothing but issues when he got to Alpine a couple of years ago. And the stark contrast when he gets into Aston Martin, they're asking him what he thinks of the new car. What can be added? What's going to work best for him? What little tweaks, what little tricks does he know from here, there, and everywhere? And it looks like they've listened to all of his recommendations to a certain extent. He's having a blast. He realizes what a good quality car is again. It's it's the dream of the first race. It's that I'm going to be competitive finally for the first time in five, six years. I'm not going to be in the mid-grid anymore. I'm not going to be fighting with teams that I know I can drive better than and the car that Aston Martin gave him is definitely the car that is going to take him to the limit of that in the 2023 season. Again, intelligent driving from Alonso, pushing when he needs to, but not over exerting and overreaching for what the car should be able to do in the first race. And even though Fernando Alonso at 42 is the oldest driver on the grid, you can see that he's got a ton left in him. And you can see how much he loves to race when he has a proper car underneath him and a proper team to support him to win these races and to let him take chances and to give him proper strategy suggestions and letting him know that, yeah, you're still the number one driver here, but we work as a team where Alpine was definitely the total opposite of that. Not only are you not our number one driver, we're going to let you know that and you're not going to get, you know, proper proper respect for that his tire management was today was amazing even when he was overtaking and he had oh my god he had one of the best battles i have ever seen with lewis hamilton the two oldest drivers on the grid by many many years let's be honest here even with nico hulkenberg in they're still the oldest by many many years showing what driving in formula one in the new age should be it was literally a clinic for two to three laps, maybe three to four laps, and it was absolutely amazing. They're passing aggressively and smart and just the play back and forth. You could tell that both drivers absolutely enjoyed that part of the race the most. If other teams don't record those three laps and show it as a proper back and forth on how to pass and how to defend and how to lured the other car to where you want them to be they're sorely missing out on a fantastic opportunity of what f1 driving is and as a spectator personally it was the best part of the race even if you don't know a lot about formula one or you've been watching formula one for years it brought excitement and it brought a smile and it brought the intensity to the race that you know formula one needs to be and that now i'm going to expect for the rest of this season Fernando Alonso in an updated Aston Martin built to his specifications, essentially, in my opinion, by mid-season. So we're talking there's 23 races by race 11 or 12, just past that mid-season area. He's going to be in the top five. Absolutely. He's going to be a pain in the ass to Red Bull, to Mercedes, to Ferrari, because there's no, there's no hiding what Aston Martin can do now. There's no hiding 
how good Fernando Alonso is. There's no question about, is he still viable in Formula One? Does he still have the intensity to drive? It's yes across the board. And it's going to bring up Lance Stroll too in his game. They're all going to be coming to that A level now. They're going to be challenging for points. He's going. They're going to be above the best of the rest when it comes to the Constructors Series. And I'm going to say the statement now, the same as Red Bull, as long, in my opinion for what I know, as long as they don't develop themselves out of the race, they're going to be in the race. And by that, I mean, find what works, but don't overdo it. Don't try to push it too far where you develop the car so much where it starts to get slower, where it starts to take you out of contention. The first race is amazing. There's absolutely no issues, no sliding, no oversteering, no brake checks, no no skidding no nothing take these numbers take them in the next week take them into the week after that just build on the basics and make sure you get it right just don't think too outside the box but the most important thing and the most noticeable thing that you can see with the aston martin team is that both drivers are now having fun a couple years back last year year before when it came to alpine and when it came to aston martin you can tell lance stroll and fernando alonso were not having fun anymore there was no smiling in qualifying there was no smiling during races not just you know if someone crashed into them or if it was a stupid mistake it was just it was that grind that neither of them enjoyed with this car now i just i can't press this fact enough that it's the proper development across the board i think it's the best car that they've developed in the entire grid i think they're going to they're going to make waves they're going to make a lot of new fans and they're going to make history in the most amount of points that they're going to get in a season so now let's go through the top 10 racers let's see the finishing of the race top 10 racers one max verstappen surprise surprise starts on pole finishes on pole he finished 11.5 seconds ahead of the second place driver which was checo perez so not only did red bull lock out the front row in qualifying they also locked out the front row one two with the win then came Fernando Alonso in third podium, his 99th podium of his career. Then Carlos Seitz, Lewis Hamilton, Lance Stroll, George Russell, Valtteri Bottas in eighth. Pierre Gasly came from the back of the pack with, you know, if you screw up, you get two penalty points, you're out for a, for a race, all the way up to ninth to score points. And then to finish off, Alex Albon in 10th, scoring points for the fourth time in his career in the Williams. It's amazing to see. Constructors Championship standings. This is the most mixed Constructors standings that I have seen ever, even at the beginning of the year, because it's normally your top three that you always get. Red Bull with 43 points. Aston Martin with 26. Mercedes with 16. Ferrari is in fourth with 12 points. Alfa Romeo is in fifth with four points. Alpine is in sixth with two points. Williams is seventh with one point. And 8th, 9th, and 10th are all tied at 0 for Alfaratari, Haas, and McLaren. The rookies for their very first race, I mean, I don't think they did that badly. Uh, it, Oscar Piastri obviously didn't finish. Wasn't something he did, though. Technical difficulties with his wheel. I expect to see him definitely bounce back and potentially over-race next weekend just to prove that he is worth all the hype and the drama and everything that happened before at the beginning of the season. Um, Logan Sargent, 12th in the Williams, making me eat my words. He's a lot better than I thought he was going to be. He's got a ton of potential. 
And my choice for Rookie of the Year, Nick DeVries and the Alfretari in 15th. Uh, not as an enthusiastic drive as I thought he would have. Uh, Yuki Sonoda did out-qualify him. I think it's going to be a really healthy battle for Alfretari. Yuki Sonoda's contract is up next season, and he's known for not being a very mature driver. So either he picks it up or he's out the window. And a little side note that I think a lot of you that follow Formula One may have noticed, and there's a ton of memes on this through social media, and I just I have to comment on this just because I think it's very apt, is that I'm calling these the best career moves for these two drivers, and neither of them are driving. So obviously I'm talking about Daniel Ricciardo and Mick Schumacher. Let's start with Danny Rick. He doesn't drive for McLaren anymore, so he doesn't have a seat. Okay, He's the third driver for Red Bull, which means he probably won't drive at all this year. But he's associated with a better team. He got paid out $18 million not to drive. And if he did drive this year, he would be stuck at the back of the pack in a very underdeveloped McLaren, which I think for him is the best career choice he's made. And who knows? He might be able to drive for Red Bull this year too. Again, Mick Schumacher. Haas, they didn't finish in the top 10. They looked okay, but not exactly a massive leap forward that I had predicted and a lot of people had thought with them being able to reach the cost cap and being able to develop all these parts. Instead, now he's the third reserve driver for Mercedes. So he's right beside Total Wolf every single day. Total Wolf knew his dad, Michael Schumacher. They've got that family connection. He's going to learn so much more from Mercedes than he ever will from Haas. So again, even though neither of these two drivers are actually racing, I think it was the best career moves that they could possibly make. And there you have it. That is the review for the very first race, the Bahrain Grand Prix of the 2023 Formula One season. Join me next week, the weekend of March 17th to 19th. It is the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix for our time, for those of us in Canada, especially in Alberta. Qualifying on the 18th starts at 11 a.m. our time, and the race on the 19th also starts at 11 a.m. I will talk to you guys next weekend. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, all you wonderful F1 fans out there. It is Sunday. It is March 5th. And if you're an F1 fan and you know what that means, then that means the wait is officially over. We're talking about the very first qualifying and the very first race of the 2023 season. We're Bahrain. My name is Kelsey, and you are listening to the very first episode of Season 2 of F101. All right, so normally we would start off with our hot topics, but guess what? Our hot topic of this episode is, it's the beginning of the season. We're back. It is Bahrain. I am so happy that the winter break is over. If you are anything like me, you are extraordinarily excited for the beginning of the 2023 season. You've got, you know, you've got these cars that are no longer experimental to these teams. You've got You've got these drivers that are just itching to go just like me. I'm so, so, so excited. And I hope you are too. So we're going to get right into it. 2023 season, the Bahrain International Grand Prix. We're going to start off with qualifying as we always do. The only, I would say, hot topic of the qualifying is that Lance Stroll actually makes 
qualifying. Now, for those of you who didn't know, he had an accident a couple of weeks ago. He was, some reports say he was mountain biking. Some reports say that he was just, you know, on a pedal bike. Uh, either way, he got injured. He broke his toe. He broke his right wrist. He bruised a bunch of uh, rib bones. And he was not expected to make uh, this race at all. He was supposed to miss the entire weekend. He did miss all of training uh, and all of the uh, specifications and the tuning of the car last week, which fell onto Fernando Alonso and uh, Drogovic, the replacement driver. But doctors have cleared him. Uh, he did get surgery done on his right wrist. He is driving with pins in his wrist. So we're just going to have to see how well that goes for him. On the bright side for him, he's got a brand new car to look forward to, brand new specs, very, very well developed for him. And for Fernando Alonso, I think he's really going to make a splash. Qualifying, I am very happy to say, was very straightforward for the beginning of the season. They're starting it off on the right foot for everybody except for Ferrari. And I do kind of hate to say this. I was hoping the reliability of the Ferrari team this year would be a little more sustainable than it is. Uh, First qualifying session, Q1, uh, Charles Leclerc is going around the track, brand new Ferrari, brand new specs, he's killing it, he's kicking ass, and then all of a sudden he's got carbon fiber parts falling off the bottom of his car. Not really the best way you want to start your qualifying year, period, not really the best way you want to start your race year as well. It did not affect his qualifying time for Q1, 2, or 3. Uh, he did pass Q1, he did make it into the top 10 as you would expect a Ferrari to do. And they just essentially replaced the car, uh, replaced the pieces on the car, I should say. They weren't, you know, structurally important. The rest of the car did not fall apart. It's just a little embarrassing when you come out with this brand new car, you get through testing, everything goes very well. You're in race trim for qualifying and for the race weekend. And then you've got carbon fiber parts falling off. Uh, first red flag of the season because of that. Only two little pieces. Let's go about the size of a Gatorade water bottle at most fell off and the stewards decided to red flag the practice session. So again, first pra first red flag of the season coming in at 13 minutes and 23 seconds of qualifying number one. I do think it was a little bit overkill. Um, they do want to be cautious. I do understand that. But one of the two pieces was so far off the race line, it wouldn't have mattered. It could have just sat there all night and nobody would have run over it unless they were ridiculously out of control. And by that point, hitting a small piece of carbon fiber wouldn't have been the worst thing for the car. It would have been hitting the wall instead of that carbon piece. Very uneventful after that. Uh, again, just like last season, we're going to go through all qualifying and we're going to tell you who got eliminated and my thoughts about that. So from 16th to 20th, uh, these are the cars that got eliminated. Logan Sargent in 16th, Kevin Magnuson in 17th, Oscar Piastri in 18th, Nick DeVries in 19th, and Pierre Gasly eliminated in 20th. Now, normally, I mean, Pierre Gasly, brand new team, brand new car, looked really, really fast. So him being last out of qualifying for one doesn't really tell the story of what happened. So yeah, uh, Pierre Gasly's driving. He's doing a fantastic job, but he's starting to hit, because he's still technically learning the car, He's hitting a lot of the track limits. So for those of you who don't remember what track limits are, or for those of you who are new to the podcast and new to Formula One, track limits are you have to keep all four tires within the driving racing surface, which if you want to think about it, think of it as the lines on a road. You have to keep your tires within the lines on the side of the road. All four tires. 
you're allowed to have two tires over the line as long as the other two are in the racing area. If all four tires go over the racing line too many times, you get a warning. And then, especially in qualifying, if you do that too many times, no matter what your lap time is, it gets you raced. So it's like you never did the lap. And this was Pierre Gasly's issue for qualifying one. He was up to ninth. He was going to make it into Q2. Last run of the day, he hit his track, or last run of Q1, he hit his track limits and went over it. His time got erased. That's why he ended up in 20th. This is not the best way for Gasly to start, especially because if you remember from last season, and if you don't, I'll fill you in, he has 20 points on his supercar license. So points on a supercar license for us is the same as our regular driver's license for deduction points. You get so many points, and, you, and for us, your license gets taken away. For Formula One driver, Formula Two, and motorsport drivers, if you get too many demerits, you get suspended for a race. Okay, so demerits start. Uh, what would you say? They start disappearing after a full calendar year from the first time you picked up demerit points. So with Gasly sitting at twenty points, he needs one more infraction, and then he gets suspended for a race. And he has another two months before he starts gaining these points back. So he has to be driving very, very carefully. Track limits does not take points off your supercar license. You just get time deducted from your lap. So I hope that explanation makes a little more sense on why he is dead last in the grid, even though he really shouldn't be. Uh, not surprising, all three rookies are out in qualifying one. I have high hopes for the, for the rookies. I know they're going to do very well in this race and for the rest of the season. It's just not really surprising that they're out in race trim qualifying. Now it's it's time for the big boys to show up. Now you got to show what you can do for Formula One. It's a little sad that all three rookies are out, but not really at the same time for me at least. Um, I'd say four or five races in, you're going to see some other names being eliminated from qualifying in Q1, not necessarily all of our rookies. Now, this season, I mean, I know it's the first race, but there's a lot to be judged and a lot of in-depth thinking and analysis that you can do off the first qualifying in the first race. Last year with the new cars, the new cars were fast. With the new regulations, the new outfits, the new you know aerodynamics, these cars were supposed to be a lot faster than the previous seasons before that. They're supposed to be able to race closer, which equals closer times, more competitive racing. You can definitely see that now. Once the first generation of this car is being developed into this generation, best stat that I've seen and we'll probably see for about half the season until these guys start bringing updates is that in qualifying one, so from the guy who went from first place, first position to last, even with Pierre Gasly's time getting deleted, they're only separated by 1.1 seconds, which means, I mean, what's a second in distance, you know, less than half a meter you know, a couple inches, a couple centimeters, like what, think of how fast 1.1 second is. That's the difference between first and dead last. That's how much these cars have officially come into their own. And the rules and regulations are not supposed to significantly change till 2025. So I expect these split times, especially in qualifying and in racing to be this close, if not closer for the rest of the season. But that kind of concludes qualifying one again, not a whole lot of drama, which is nice to see. Everyone's racing clean. Everyone's racing fast. 
And again, Logan Sargent out in 16th, Kevin Magnuson in 17th, Oscar Piastri in 18th, Nick DeVries in 19th, and Pierre Gasly in 20th. Click into Q2. Aston Martin, we're going to focus on them for a little bit for qualifying too, for a very specific reason. When the cars were revealed uh, at the beginning of the month and at the end of February, you could see a lot of development in some cars more than others. And then when it came to testing, you kind of saw what most of the cars would generally look like opposed to a couple of pieces here and there that maybe they weren't finished developing yet for some teams. Maybe they didn't want to show them until race day, so on and so forth, whatever their whatever their decisions was, were, I should say. Now, when it came to Aston Martin, they revealed the car that they would be taking into testing and the car that they would be using in uh, qualifying and racing. So it was essentially 99.9% of that car would be on track. It looked fast. You could see the development from last year. If you read the reports and you read the articles, everyone was very excited about the extra money they put into it, the proper development they've put into the car, the new driver with Fernando Alonso and everything that he brings as a veteran driver to the team and the collaboration between Alonso and the pit crew team and the engineers. And you can see this definitely coming through in qualifying too. Aston Martin, they're coming on strong. I believe they have the best developed car of the entire grid. Now, that's saying a lot when you've got Red Bull and you've got Mercedes and you've got Ferrari. But if you actually looked at the cars, Ferrari's got, you know, five or six new pieces. Mercedes is kind of sticking with the same ideas they had last year. They've got a couple pieces here and there. Red Bull got a new paint job. From what I've been able to tell and from what I've been able to see, they got a new paint job. They fixed two or three things or updated two or three things, and that's pretty much it. So they've got some development on there. But Aston Martin has the most developed and best performing car above and beyond what they had last year. I'm now saying just because of qualifying that they have spent the money the best. They have learned from what their mistakes and learning curves were last season the best above everybody else, as well as they will officially be better than the rest. Now, what I mean by that is there's always the winners, so top two, and then there's the best of the rest. So anything, in my opinion, is anything from third place down, you're best of the rest. In my humble opinion, and just seeing qualifying and the race today, that Aston Martin will officially become the new best of the rest. It was amazing. It was fantastic. The confidence that you saw in qualifying, not only from Alonso, because he's super excited to have a car that actually functions the way it was advertised to, but when you see Lance Stroll, with a broken wrist, broken toe, bruised ribs, and he really, really shouldn't be driving if you think about it for the G's that they're pulling in the cars and how intense it is. I'm sure his head hurts from you know bailing when he was biking, and he's still pulling out consistent lap times. The car is dependable. It's not sliding all over the place. They haven't over-tweaked it, and it's just an amazing vehicle to see in qualifying too. Now, on the other hand, you look at McLaren, and they are horrible in qualifying today. They are like the last of the rest, the slowest of the rest, in my opinion. They have the most underdeveloped car. They've got horrible, horrible handling. Quality for them did not go so well for them. I mean, they've already got one car out. Okay, the rookie was out in 18th. Okay, that's kind of to be expected. 
So you expect Lando Norris in a new car that's supposed to be catered to him to just absolutely kick ass. Well, going through the standings, 11th was Lando Norris. Bottas was 12th. Uh, Joe Guan Yu was 13th. Yuki Tsunoda was 14th. And Alex Albon was 15th. So both McLarens are out by Q2. This shouldn't have happened for them. They should have been further ahead than the Williams. They should have made it further than the Alfa Romeos. They should be in that Q3 top 10 team. But they've spent more time getting approval for digital advertising on the side of the car than actually developing the damn car. When you look at the car, when you look at Lando Norris or Oscar Piastri, on the left and right-hand side, right by his head, you'll see advertisements. But it's a digital display board, essentially. It flips through two or three different advertisements for new sponsors, and they were absolutely ecstatic about that. Oh, we got approval for this from the FIA. It's going to take us to the next level. Maybe the engineer should have focused more on the actual car itself than putting more advertisements on the car. You're adding more electronics. You're adding more weight to the car just to make a couple of sponsors happy where you could just have added a sticker to the car. From qualifying today or yesterday and the race today, I think McLaren's... Uh, focus is not in the right spot. They're more focused in bringing in money than they are actual performance for the car. I think Zach Brown absolutely fucked this team over. I think Lando Norris needed to stand up and be like, hey, this car development needs to be better and not so much for the advertisement, whether it was his spot or not to say something like that. The drivers do have a massive amount of sway when it comes to how the car is developed. Look at Lewis Hamilton, look at Max Verstappen, look at Lando Norris back in a couple of years ago, or a couple of years ago, look at Valtteri Bottas. Like these guys have been around long enough. They know what they need the car to do and they have their own ideas. They can bring aerodynamic ideas and sustainability to the car. Uh, again, perfect example. Lewis Hamilton designed the wheel that they use in the, or in the, in the Mercedes. He was the one that came up with that idea, with the shape, with the size, with the button configuration for both cars. So if you're an important enough driver like Lando Norris is for McLaren, they should have listened to him no matter what idea it was. I don't really give a shit what it was. It could be anything could be better than what they put on the track today for qualifying. It was horrible. It was absolutely horrible. Out in Q2, like I said, moving on to Q3. Q3 was everything that we had expected it to be and more the one thing that the one thing that i had noticed and that anybody that watched qualifying and who had listened to the training sessions and who looked into the practice sessions and and when everyone was getting their cars all tuned up is that mercedes kept saying that their car is horrible their car is slow uh reports come out now that they're going to freeze development on this specific chassis of car and they're going to start developing new and better parts to change the feel, change the shape, change the flow, and all that kind of stuff. Mercedes is really good at this. Uh, it's kind of like listening to Lewis Hamilton going, oh, the tires are shot, and he gets another 25 laps out of them and wins the race. Don't believe everything you say, Don't, or they say. Don't believe everything you hear. And this was definitely one of those circumstances where Mercedes comes in, and I honestly think that during the development time that was broadcasted, that they just absolutely sandbagged practice, that... They were working on some things that they didn't want the rest of the teams to know about, that they weren't too sure on how well it would work, so they just downplayed it a ton. Mercedes is looking solid. 
They've got good pace. They've got pretty good tire management depending on who's racing. Russell has a tendency to have better tire management than uh, Lewis Hamilton does in practice and in racing. So it's one of those driver-specific type things. They're looking super strong with what they've got put together with their race package, with their liveries, with all this kind of stuff. They're looking more solid than they're letting anybody else really believe. I don't know if it's like a false sense of security for the other teams or they just generally don't believe in the package they have because coming into qualifying and even after qualifying, Lewis Hamilton is really, really not happy with the direction that the car is going. He's making it sound like that this is the W13 part two, that they've come a long way from the W13, but they haven't learned enough for the car to be competitive. Total Wolf says that the concept of the car is going to be completely overhauled. They're going to take a look at it. They're going to see what they can afford this year in the budget to change the shape, this and that. And this is still after qualifying. They still got in the top 10. So they're still comparing themselves to Red Bull, where they need to, in my opinion, they need to start comparing themselves to catching Ferrari and being the solid third place team as of right now. Then when you get third and you catch Ferrari, then you start looking at Red Bull. Mercedes and Total Wolf always talk about, oh, it's patience, it's further down the road, it's this and that. But when it actually comes down to it, having faith in your car and your team, it might actually take three seasons. But visually and out in the public, they're saying they don't like this car. And from my analysis, it's it's a good car. Looking at the qualifying, it's the first qualifying in the season, so it's not going to be spectacular. It's not going to be perfect. You're not going to win the championship in a day. But they've got a really good foothold. And this, again, this is coming from a Red Bull fan from top to bottom, from beginning to end. And Mercedes has a good car. I don't see why they're complaining as much as they are. They still get top 10 in qualifying. Can't be that bad, can it? Again, coming back to Aston Martin, it wasn't a fluke for Q2. Going into Q3, the pace is still staying up there with Mercedes and Ferrari. Again, not necessarily with Red Bull. They're not quite at that stage yet, but they understand that. They're challenging Red Bull. They're challenging Ferrari for those spots in qualifying, which is great. Even Lance Stroll, again, and Fernando, they're they're driving smart. They know they've got an updated car. They know they've got a really good car, and they're still learning the car at this stage. So they're not taking stupid... um, They're not making stupid choices. They're not pushing the car further than it needs to be pushed at this point. Now, when you're mid-season and you're in the battle for points and positions, and that's when you've learned your car, you know where it's at, and that's when you decide to put the pedal to the metal and really push the limits of it. But I think they're just driving smart right now. Again, they make it into the top 10. Same with Ferrari. It's a good starting qualifying. They want to catch Red Bull this season. Everybody does. That's kind of the the theme of Formula One these days is catch Max and and catch Red Bull. Ferrari, minus the two pieces falling off in the first qualifying. Again, really, really solid qualifying times. They're at the top of the charts where they should be with Red Bull, with Mercedes. And it was, they can't run before they can walk. And they want to so bad. They've got a new team principal. They've got some new engineers. This, I think, is a really good opportunity for them to refurbish things. How you think, how you proceed, how you develop. Listen to the drivers some more. That might be a fantastic idea. But for Q3, really solid times, really fast times. It was it was great to see. Some 
surprise in the top 10, uh, Nico Hulkenberg. He hasn't officially driven in three years in Formula One. He is Kevin Magnussen's uh, driving partner. He drives for Haas, makes it into the top 10, which is fantastic for Haas. They've got a new car. They've got a new livery. They've got proper specs and aerodynamic on a car that has not been anywhere near the top 10 for several years. And it takes a veteran driver like Nico Hulkenberg driving smooth, driving fast. It definitely shows the potential of what Haas is going to have for the rest of the year, as long as they don't, you know, as long as you don't foobar it and have unrealistic expectations just because they can hit the budget cap and spend all this money doesn't necessarily mean you're going to have a rocket ship overnight. Nico Hulkenberg, top 10, in the top 10, which is fantastic to see. It uh, It's only happened to Haas maybe once or twice in the last couple of years. So congratulations for them. They look really, really good. And then we're going back. We're going to cover Red Bull. And of course, they're just, they have the least changes to the car. And there's a reason for that. They were absolutely smoking fast yesterday in qualifying. They topped the chart. They topped the charts and the time, uh, the timesheet as you would expect a two-time championship team to do. But from first to tenth, there's only a 1.1 second difference. So Red Bull's still taking the pace. They're still taking it to all the rest of the teams. They're still winning qualifying, but it's not by the massive difference that they had last season there's no six second at least in this one there's no six second qualifying gap it's less than a second from top to bottom which is great to see everyone's catching up to red bull or maybe maybe red bull hasn't developed as much as they thought they needed to not forgetting that because red bull won last year they have less development time than the rest of the teams that's the way this is structured it's the more you suck the more opportunity to get better you have not only that, but because they went over the cost cap last year, they have a $7 million fine, as well as they lose even more development time in the wind tunnels, which knocks it down to like 25% less than what they had had before. So a lot of people look at the beginning of the season going, qualifying especially, going, oh, Red Bull's going to win everything, throw your hands up, it's over, man. It's game over, dude. Nope, not necessarily hold your horses. They can get all this development time in now, but at some point during the season, they have to stop developing or cut way, way back just so they stay within those regulations, which means the rest of the teams are going to potentially catch up to where Red Bull is. And the second half of the season, I'm going to say, is going to be a lot more competitive than the beginning. And in a nutshell, that is, uh, that is our qualifying top 10 racers. You've got Max and Perez, so it's a first row Red Bull shutout. Then you've got the two Ferraris, Leclerc and Seitz, Fernando Alonso in fifth, George Russell in sixth, Hamilton in seventh, Lance Stroll in eighth, Esteban Ocon in ninth, and Nico Hulkenberg rounding out the top ten in tenth for the Hawks.